I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what changes can realistically happen for the Bucs defense under new coordinator Mark Duffner? Do the Bucs have any realistic chances of trading for Cardinals cornerback Patrick Peterson? And does Florida have a chance in a week against Georgia. It's time for a popular mailbag edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay and a good time to do it, of course, with all the news over at One Buck Place. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer, co-host Steve Bursnick. Before we get started on this podcast, is swimming with the manatees on your bucket list? Well, it should be because I've done this. And let me tell you, it is great for the family. It is an experience you won't forget. If so, seven days a week, You can do just that with Captain Mike's Swimming with the Manatees in Crystal River. It's the ultimate family bonding experience. Ask about their $30 manatee bronze tour and be sure to ask about their free offer for active law enforcement officers and U.S. military. Requires a purchase of two silver tickets at the regular price. After that, you're eligible for the free tour. Now through the end of October, you get to save 15% off the cost of kayak rentals. Captain Mike's has the best selection of kayak rentals in the area. So book online at swimmingwiththemanatees.com or call 352-571-1888. Folks, I've done this. It's great for the family. These are the most gentle creatures in the world, and it's just a great thing to do while the sun's still out, still hot, refreshing day on the water. So go call Captain Mike's Swimming with the Manatees. Go to swimmingwiththemanatees.com, 352-571-1888. All right, so I can imagine, Steve, that uh, kind of a busy day or so over at, uh, with the Buccaneers and, of course, the firing of Mike Smith, which occurred exactly two weeks after Dirk Cutter asked a rhetorical question. So I fire Mike Smith. What then? Well, we're about to find out what then. And Mark Duffner takes over. Their linebackers coach uh, will also be calling the plays now on defense starting with Sunday's game against the Cleveland Browns. So without further ado, I'm ready to fire away. Well, most of the questions that you can imagine are about the Bucks and Mike Smith and the defensive coordinator position and Dirk Cutter. So we'll start sure. with this one from Joshua. Was the firing of Mike Smith directed by ownership, or did Cutter realize his defense would lead to the firing of himself and the rest of the staff? Well, I, I really do believe that uh, the head coach who, who is in charge of the staff, and most coaches are contra- contractually have control of that, um, he did realize that this was in the best interest of the football team. I mean, look, they – they need to win, and he said it yesterday that everyone in the National Football League knows that it's a production-based business. And right now they've lost three games in a row, and ostensibly, I mean, you can go back and look at these games, but it's because they've gotten behind so far, an average, giving up an average of 30 points or so, 30.8 points, I think, in each of the last three games in the first half alone. So when you, when you bury yourself that way, you're not giving your football team a chance. You're not giving – the offense a chance, which has been very, very good this year. Because, Steve, if they have scored if they had scored twenty five or held opponents to twenty five points a game, which is not an insignificant amount of points, but just twenty five points a game, they'd be four and one right now. So, you know, it, it this is not like you know, the football team is definitely it's definitely tilting in the offensive side, 
but you can't put your guys in, you know, in that big of a hole. So I do think that Dirk Cutter, you know, realized that this needed to be done uh, after a three-game losing streak, that some, some change had to be made. And you can't change, you know, the, the 20-something players that you have on defense, but you can change the guy that's in charge of it. And it's, it's still – we said this before when he didn't fire him two weeks ago that, look, it's, it's collaborative, it's bigger. The problems they have are bigger than Mike Smith, and yet, you know, I would imagine that there are more than a few players and probably people in the front office and probably owners – who feel like, well, we have to do something. There has to be some accountability. Um, you know, there has to be some change made at the top. If, if Dirk Cutter's not going to do it, then his job uh, is going to be in jeopardy as well. So I think all of that is probably true. Now, who ordered the code red? I, I don't know that. Dirk said it was his idea, um, his decision, his alone. Certainly he consulted with Jason Light and with ownership. Um, but I, I think we'd be naive to think that, you know, this this hasn't been a discussion uh, in every office over there at One Buck Place. Well, speaking of a few good men, Greg had asked that he likes the few good men references in the podcast. <laughs> and you have to wonder how much power Dirk has as a first-time coach with only one winning season. Do you think the players sense that this is Cutter's last stand? And if so, how hard will they play for him? Well, I mean, I haven't seen guys making business decisions yet. I did see that with Raheem Morris when they lost 10 in a row and everybody was pretty, you know, pretty much realized that he was out of here. So you do get that at a certain point in the season. I don't think we've reached it yet. I mean, if they win Sunday, and I don't think it's unrealistic to think that the Bucks could beat the Cleveland Browns at home. The Browns have a great defense. They have not been scoring very well, and they do have a rookie quarterback in Baker Mayfield. So um, that, that's a very winnable game uh, and should be for the Bucks and for any team that's playing them at home. So um, you get to three and three and, you know, everything sort of looks, looks different, but you know, as far as, as far as Dirk goes, he's more vulnerable than ever because, you know, he gave up the offensive play calling duty. That's what got him this job, his success with Jameis Winston, his success with the offense and the fact that he was coveted by other teams like the 49ers at the time. And he's given that away to Todd Munkin, who's done a really good job with it overall. If you look at where they're ranked and, terms of yards and, and total points and things like that. Um, and now he's fired his good friend uh, and, and defensive coordinator. So, you know, there's not much left except for Dirk himself. And, you know, it's a zero-sum game. I think he has to win. I've always thought he had to win. He knows he has to win. Uh, has to at least have a winning season, if not uh, break this playoff streak of, what what is it, 10, 11 years now. So all those things are still on the table, but they're also still, they're also still achievable. You know, as bad as as dark as it looks, and it's pretty dark. It's pretty grim. I'm not going to paint a a false picture here, but one win changes the attitude. Now suddenly you could beat any team that's left on your schedule. So, um, but I think I think Dirk recognizes and has recognized for some time. Um, you know, he said it last year when they kept him that he felt like it was a courageous move by the Glazers to stick with him after a five and eleven season. So. Uh, certainly he's aware that, um, you know, that he has to win this year. All right, Craig asks, as someone who follows the Bucks day-to-day, does Dirk have that body language or by what he says saying, I don't want to be the head coach anymore? To me, it's just the guy who finally got what he wanted and now is like, no thanks, not for me. Well, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I think his dream was to be a head coach in the NFL. Um, he's He had been a head coach in college at several different levels, including Arizona State, which is – you know, as high a level as you can get in the Pac-12. So I think that, that, you know, he was given the opportunity at an age where he probably thought that 
you know, that ship had sailed. Uh, I think he was 57, 58 years old when he got this job. And, you know, they all, everybody that, that gets hired knows they're being hired to be fired. So, you know, you ride the wave as long as you can. Now, I don't think that he's acting like a guy that doesn't want the job. I, I mean, I've known coaches that are surprised sort of by the scrutiny that comes with it. Um, it's, you know, you, you get into this to coach football and you wind up being a fireman and, and, you know, the media obligations and, you know, counseling with players and, and, and all the stuff that doesn't have to do with football consumes so much of your time, um, that you can, you know, you can kind of give off the body language or the appearance that, you know, gee, I'd rather, I'd rather be fishing, you know, in Idaho, but that's, that's not the case. Dirk, Dirk is a lifer. I mean, he loves football. He talks football all the time. Um, he does have other outside interests too, but you know what, to me, he acts like a guy that I don't know that he's going to coach much longer. I mean, you know, when I say that, I I really haven't talked to Dirk about this, but you know, if you're going to be, you know, in your sixties and he's done this for 30 something years at the high, and now he reaches the highest level, what's next? You know, is he going to go back to being an offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills? You know, I, I just don't know that that's necessarily in his cards. So, you know, when he says things, if he does raise eyebrows when he says things like, you know, Jameis Winston will be here long after I will, I think that's just honest. You know, Dirk, Dirk can be very honest, and if you consider his age, even if he coaches for 10 years, you know, in 10 years, Jameis is 34. So if he makes it as a franchise quarterback, he'll still be right here. So, you know, a lot of people read into stuff, and I would just say, you know, be very careful with that because, you know, you're, you're just taking a snapshot of a guy on one day and when things are bad, I mean, Dirk, Dirk is not going to come in there and start telling jokes. You know, that, that part is true. He wears his emotions a little on his sleeve uh, at times, and I think that's sort of what you're seeing right now after three straight losses. All right, we got a couple questions on this topic here. So uh, Z Football asks, Mark Duffner spent a considerable amount of time in his NFL career under Mike Smith. Do you think he will bring much change to the defense? And Pepe asks, what actual changes do you think will be made to the defense now using the same players, just a different coordinator. Well, when we say, when we talk about change, I mean, to me, change is like a scheme change. You know, they're not going to become a 3-4 team all of a sudden. They're not going to change the terminology. Um, they're, they're probably not going to change a lot of players that, you know, I mean, most of the guys that can help them win are on the field right now. So it's not like they're going to say, hey, Isaiah Johnson, you should replace, you know, Justin Evans or something like that. Could there be some, you know, some guys – uh, getting more reps and some guys getting fewer, I suppose. I mean, the first guy you think about is Noah Spence, right? And, and again, I don't know that Noah Spence isn't playing because of Mike Smith. It could be because of Brenson Buckner, or it could be because of Noah Spence. <laughs> so we don't we don't see him every day at practice. We don't know what effort he's given uh, or anything like that. But you know, in general, I mean, there's there's not a lot you can do because you've installed this defense throughout really the last three years, but, you know, even for guys that are new to it, you spent ever since March doing install, then you had OTAs, then you had training camp, then you had the preseason. So this is your defense. Now, it's kind of like, it. you know, people say, well, does it matter who calls it? Well, yeah, it matters. I mean, I, I, I think it does. Now, I, I know nothing about Duffner as a defensive coordinator. If he was that coveted, then that would have been his job throughout his NFL career. He's been a linebacker's coach, okay? He had two years under Dick LeBeau, and things did not go well for him or for the Bengals. So it's not as if you're saying, well, you know, we've got, you know, 
son of Bum Phillips coming in here. You know, it's not like Wade Phillips is your guy and he's got this long track record. Uh, I don't know what Duffner can do, but I do know that it's sort of like, you know, I'm sitting here staring at a keyboard and it's got, you know, the alphabet on it. And some guys can type those letters in a better order than I do. And they win Pulitzer Prizes. But all the letters are in front of me. Well, the play sheet's going to be in front of Duffner. Can he call it different? Can he, can he dial up the right things? Can he, you know, break down with, with help from the staff, um, the Cleveland Browns, and figure out how they can pressure Baker Mayfield and make, make it very difficult for him, how they can disguise things. Do they want to bring a lot of blitzes at him, you know? So, so things can change, but you're still working off the same sort of playbook, if that makes sense. Warren asks, what's the real reason for the defensive backs playing so far off the receivers? Was this by design from Mike Smith, or is it the defensive back's personal preference? Depends on the defensive back, and yeah, everything is by design by Mike Smith or whoever the coordinator is. That's the coverage um, that they fundamentally you know, play more than not. I think in the case, you know, I think you try to gear or you should try to gear your, your scheme to your talent or your talent to your scheme, however that works. In the case of Brent Grimes, who is their best corner, even at 35, has the most experience, he likes to be able to see the quarterback. He likes to play off, okay? He's good at jumping things. He's good at diagnosing routes, all of that. So you're, I think you're predominantly going to see him play off, and, and, you know, that's sort of what their defense is about. You know, it's, it's about um, not allowing the big play, um, you know, mixing it up, obviously, but most a lot of zone – uh, and yet they still have players like Carlton Davis, who I think is better in man-to-man. He can play zone if he has to. Um, but it, it is, it's just, it's a schematic thing. I've seen, I've seen schemes with the Bucks where, you know, they were up on top of receivers and, you know, had their backs to the quarterback and it worked and some of it didn't work. And then I, I've seen others, but you can't just do one thing, but you do have to have a base system. And I think, I think for Mike Smith, it was playing off, um, you know, depending on the down and distance, it was playing off the receivers. So you prevented the big play. And so that, you know, you can get a better feel for what the quarterback is doing and, and uh, be able to watch his eyes as well. All right. Jim asked, remember during the bye week, Dirk asked the team what they feel they could, imp- how they could improve the team. Perhaps he received a whole bunch of change defensive coordinator requests. What do you think? I don't know what, like he, he gave parameters for that question. It wasn't open-ended. Like there were some, some things he wanted them to respond to. Um, but I would, I would imagine that he would allow for, you know, for some suggestions like that. And look, you get, you get 53 or 61 players, they're not all going to have the same opinion. And the way things were going, especially after that Chicago game, let me just say this. I would be surprised if, if nobody, if not one player, wrote down fire Mike Smith. It would surprise me. Now, maybe guys just don't feel like, you know, they'll trace my handwriting back. I don't know if this was a, you know, sort of a suggestion box type thing where you can not sign it or if you needed to sign it or they want to know who the suggestions came from. I don't know. I don't know if it was secret ballot or not. But it would seem to me that there probably was or is a few players um, who felt a change needed to be made. They're not all happy. because, And you know why? How you can tell they're not all happy? Because they're not all playing well. And, and players need statistics. Players need, need plays on film. They want to make Pro Bowls. They want to go to the postseason. Um, they want to be the reason you win. And when you're not winning, they want to know why you're not winning and why, in particular, they're not having Pro Bowl seasons because they all think that they're capable of it, and that's, that's their goal. Okay, So 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I think that there's a lot of opinions, just like there is among Bucks fans. Some people probably think, well, most probably think that Mike Smith should have been fired. Um, but there's probably a few players that don't. And my guess is that, you know, it's not the reason why they fired Mike Smith, but it could have opened his eyes a little bit if he wasn't aware that, 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 that's, that, a, that a lot of players wrote that and, and felt that way. I just don't have any evidence of it, and I wouldn't want to speculate. I mean, I really – look, you know, you don't need a suggestion from players to know that this isn't working, okay? You have on pace for an historic – an historically horrible defense, the most points ever given up in NFL history in a season. That's what they're, that's what they're on pace for right now. So – Again, I don't think I don't think you need a bunch of guys telling you that's what you should do. It should have been fairly obvious, but they didn't do it. Um, you know, after the Chicago game, and and for that reason, I thought that that you know Smith was going to get the greater part of the year, if not the whole year, to try to figure this thing out. That's why I said the timing of it is just really suspect to me. All right, Greg asks: This is an opportunity to bring Jim Levitt back to Tampa Bay. Very strong resume at the pro and college levels on the defensive side of the ball. Why not? Well, um, why not? The first reason would be he's never coached in the NFL. That's not – that doesn't exclude you, obviously. Um, Jim's not the youngest guy. I want to say that he's probably at least in his mid-50s. By- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now close to 60, um, somewhere in there. Um, I, think, I think Jim could coach at the NFL level if that's what he chose. It's not going to happen in midseason. Again, you can't just come in and bring in a coordinator and say, hey, we're going to do everything different. You guys got you know three days to learn the playbook before we play Cleveland. So it wouldn't be an in-season change. I like Jim. I think Jim, though, prefers college football. I mean, that's, that's where he's worked his whole life. And well, he did he work for the 49ers. He did work for the 49ers, and that's true. You make a good point. I mean, he worked for Harbaugh mm-hmm. and did a good job there, and he had yeah. a good number of players. So, look, it's, I mean, he would be a guy that I would interview just because any place he's been, he's improved that defense. He's done it at Oregon in a short time. Um, you know, I, I think Jim's a very successful coach. I wouldn't have a problem hiring, but I don't know, you know, what, whether Dirk, Kerr, Dirk Cutter has any experience with him or not. I, I just – those are decisions that have to be made in the off season. They're not. It's not going to happen now. And and you know, Jim's in the middle of trying to make the Oregon Ducks better. All right. One last coaching on our question on the coaches. And Michael asked, "How many coaches are the Bucks paying not to coach?" Phew. It's a great question. So Lovey Smith was fired going on four years ago. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was fired because Dirk was a head coach in sixteen, seventeen, and now eighteen. So Lovey's so being ago. paid, ago, yeah. but this is the this is Dirk's third year, correct? Correct. Yeah. So Lovey's being paid this year, this final year, uh, by by the Buccaneers. So there's one. I don't know that he had any assistants that were still that. The, usually those guys have two year deals, so I don't know that any of them had lapsed over into the third year. 
they're done paying John Gruden. Yeah, I mean, maybe Lovey Smith. Um, now Mike Smith. Maybe they need to move on from the Smith part of the phone book. Like I said, <laughs> that might be the way to go. Um, because it seems like, you know, if you're Smith, you're going to leave early and keep getting checks from the Buccaneers. But I I think Lovey might be the only guy. And, and even then, you know, what's funny about these things is that most of these contracts – when you sign them with the Bucks, they all have offsets. And what that means is if they fire you and you go get a job at McDonald's, um, whatever you make, you know, seven fifty an hour, whatever it is, they can actually subtract from what they owe you each each week. So um, in the case of Lovey and even John, my understanding is that they just whizzed right by the offsets and said, yeah, you know, don't worry about it. We'll just pay you anyway. So Lovey's been making a ton of money. Um, from the Buccaneers these last three years while he's getting paid a fortune uh, to coach Illinois. It's a good gig if you can get it. Yeah, man. All right, Nate asks, and I know you're blogging about this at TampaBay.com, do the Bucks have any realistic chance of trading for Patrick Peterson? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and you can go to TampaBay.com uh, and read the answer. I think, well, here, here's what happens in, in the NFL, and that is you have a team like the Arizona Cardinals who aren't playing very well. And so everybody says, well, they've got some good players. Maybe, you know, maybe they would go ahead and, and trade some of their best players and try to acquire draft picks and whatnot. And that does, from time to time, that does happen. But it got out there that somehow Patrick Peterson is on the block. And that could be, you know, a GM calling Steve Kaim and saying, hey, would you consider Patrick Peterson? And, and Kaim saying, yeah, we'll consider anybody, but it's going to be, it's not something we're actively pursuing. How do you know a player is traded when that team starts calling around other teams and putting them on the block? That's when you know. In this case, I haven't heard the Cardinals say it, not that they would announce it, but let's just think about this for a minute. Patrick Peterson's 28 years old. He's an elite player uh, still in this league. Uh, he makes a ton of money, okay? He makes a fortune, right? So you're Steve Kayyem, you're the Car Arizona Cardinals. Sure, I'll get rid of one of my best players. I don't have any good players, but I'll get rid of maybe one of my very best players. Okay, what am I asking? Okay, um, all right, well, for him, how about two number one picks, O.J. Howard, and somebody else, and something else that I really like that's either on your roster or another draft pick? You're, are you going to do that? Does that mean, he, does that mean he's available? I, I just don't see, you know, one, where there's evidence that he is on the block, and two – you know, whether the Bucks would go ahead and try to do this, you know, at this point, because it's it would be mortgaging a big part of their future. And, you know, the other thing is, from an ownership standpoint, maybe you're not sure if Jason Light and Dirk Cutter are going to be here next year. Do you want them uh, to do what they can to win right now to save their skins and then and then leave the next coach or GM in a spot where they don't have two number one draft picks the next two years? You know, I, I just don't know that that's a deal that you're going to make. But I if Patrick Peterson is traded – I mean, look what look what Cleo Mack cost, you know. I mean, that's what we're talking about. So I don't see the Bucks doing that. And, and frankly, I don't see the Cardinals really wanting to get rid of them. Okay, Drew asked, Ryan Fitzpatrick obviously is not the future, but has Winston played like he's worth $17 million more than his backup? With Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, and other top quarterbacks, there isn't a doubt. Why not trade Jameis to the Giants for a first-round quarterback that has potential to be great and not good enough? I mean, you know, as far as the money goes and stuff like that, I, you know, Jay, the reason why Ryan Fitzpatrick makes what he makes and Jameis makes what he makes is one guy's 35 and one guy's 24. One guy was the first overall pick in the draft and the other guy was a seventh rounder out of Harvard. 
Um, you know, one guy won a national championship, the other guy didn't. I mean, we can go on and on about this. One guy's six foot five. There are there is a reason why, you know, it wasn't an accident that Jameis was the first pick in the draft. So, you know, from that standpoint, I don't think the Bucks know what what they want to do with Jameis Winston. I think that's what these next, you know, 10, 11 weeks are going to be all about because they need to find out whether, you know, they want to pay him that $21 million that they've essentially guaranteed him against injury and, you know, and, and, and then go on from there. I think Jameis Winston had one of his best games. You know, again, you can't take, I wrote about this, you know, the way he plays quarterback is different than most. And, you know, every quarterback, I think, would like to have a throw or two back in a game. I mean, Matt Ryan played a clean game, and he won. Jameis Winston threw two picks, including one in the red zone that got intercepted in the end zone, and he lost by that margin. So, um, But he still threw for almost 400 yards. He had four touchdown passes. So, you know, he has, he has gotten better each year. I keep telling people, you know, look at the numbers, watch him play the position, understand you know how he died how he reads the defense how quickly he gets the ball out of his hands he's still going to try to compete and extend plays um but i think he is protecting or trying to protect the ball better he didn't do it necessarily on sunday i'm not i'm not down on Jameis winston i'm surprised that people have given up on the guy i mean look you may not like him from an off the field standpoint and he has lost 10 of his last 11 starts i'm not i'm not ignoring that because i'm one that thinks that winning is important at some point you have to win football games, right? I mean, these guys go to the worst team in the NFL when they're the first overall pick, and they, everybody expects them to, to go to the Super Bowl the next year. It just doesn't happen that way. But this is his fourth year. He has a, a talented cast around him. But I thought he did a good job the other day. Um, I'm sure he wished he hadn't a four-step ball to Chris Godwin, or maybe we're talking about a Buccaneer win right now. So last question about the Bucks. Charles asks, and he says it's a sincere question, what is the self-scouting process that we talk about during the bye week? Is that where the defense evaluates the offense? No, it's act. Well, it's actually the defense evaluates the defense. I mean, they they approach it, um, and and it can go that way. But but predominantly, you look at all the things you've done. You take and usually it's the bye weeks are later than the than after four games. But you want at least four games to really look at what your trends are. So you look at it almost as if you were playing yourself, and you say, okay. You know, what what defense do we play on third down against this formation? You know, how many times have we done this blitz uh, in this situation? And you just you just go back and, you know, you look at all the good plays, you look at all the bad plays, all the cut-ups, all the down and, you know, it's situational football is what the NFL is. Um, and you try to look for tendencies. You try to look at it as if you're playing yourself. And, you know, if, if, you're, if you're being too predictable and teams are exploiting that, you want to see that. You can evaluate players individually, what you're asking them to do and how successful they've been at doing it. Is this guy, you know, good in man coverage and, you know, is, is he better in quarters coverage? You know, what's giving him trouble assignment-wise? What mental errors are we making? It's pretty much everything. But, but it's self-scouting, meaning that you're really concentrating on your four games and what you've done to that point. And, you know, you try to come up. You try to change your tendencies, and you try to come up with better, get better game plans. Um, try to utilize, you know, players differently. If uh, some guys having some trouble with some particular thing, try to evaluate them, grade them as well. So it's it's all of that. Um, but it's not so much that you know the offense looks at the defense and the defense looks at the offense, although that can occur. Um, but it's more about just just really 
having the time to take a deep dive and and take a step back and look at your your side of the ball from thirty thousand feet and and then try to figure out how you're going to be less predictable and uh, more efficient and should you do less should you do more you know in certain areas it's all of that and I thought that they came up with a few good answers I mean I thought some of their blitzes were good um, you know they they a couple of them got home they got some pressure on Matt Ryan and a couple of them he beat them you know. And that's the thing about bringing pressure. I mean, some guys aren't good at it. You know, when you blitz linebackers, you got to have guys that are that are really good at doing it. So, um, but it's all of that. It's it's and it's a good question. I mean, I've never sat there while you know in a bye week to watch coaches break down that sort of thing. But Mike Smith said he spent twelve to fourteen hours, which is less than they normally would spend. They'd usually go almost eighteen, nineteen hours a day. Um, but that's what they did during the bye week. All right, we'll switch to college football now. And Les asks, do you still think UF has no chance against Georgia? LSU showed the blueprint, and Florida's physical defense will be the difference. I don't remember saying they'd have no chance. Maybe I did. If I was dismissive of Florida, I It might have been I me who be, said that. I, I should be called out for it because they obviously, if you play the daisy chain game, Florida beat LSU, LSU beat Georgia, therefore Florida can beat Georgia. Um, that's not how it works in college football. I mean, for example, LSU lost to Florida, and yet they're ranked fifth in the nation, and Florida is not. So how can that be? Um, you know, and rankings are arbitrary too. Look, I think I think Florida can beat Georgia, and I think it's because the way they're winning, and they got behind to Vanderbilt, you know, by 18. Their problem is is that they're capable, fully capable of having those lapses, particularly on offense. You know, I, I don't know that that you know Franks is you know is a refined quarterback that can't go through periods that you know don't bother him um, and doesn't hurt your football team. But they are doing it with physical uh, defensive line play. Their front seven is very very good. They can cover on the back end, and they're doing it by running the football at you downhill with multiple running backs. And in any level of football, if you can if you can impose your will on that team across from you that way. Uh, teams that can't stop the run, that's demoralizing. And so, you know, from that standpoint, yeah, they can beat Georgia on a neutral field, um, which is now going to be an enormous game for both teams. They played in a big game in LSU, and they passed the test. They got to pass another one. I think there was a little letdown at Vanderbilt, but you know what? They did what good teams do. They, they rallied. They found a way to win. They got out of there with their lives. Um, but everything is still right in front of them. So, yeah, I'm I'm a big buyer right now in Florida. I still don't think they're one of the top five teams in the country. But if they beat Georgia, you you got to figure that they got a pretty good chance to play in the SEC championship. All right. In the last few years, we've seen some players uh, in college sit out bowl games, uh, getting ready for the NFL draft, not wanting to get hurt. Ohio State's defensive lineman Nick Bosa, who's considered to be a high pick this year in the draft, got hurt early in the season. He announced today he's leaving Ohio State, not going to rehab to come back this season, but to rehab for the NFL draft starting now. Do you think this is a good trend? What do you think of this as, as college football goes on? I would do it in a heartbeat. I, I'm, you know, I'm one of these people, if you've listened to me, I, I'm a big proponent for, uh, for football players or basketball players or whatever to do whatever they can to secure their futures because the university is going to use them up and throw them away. Look, these guys aren't insured from the university for their careers, right? So um, they're at great risk. They're playing essentially for free. I know people talk about, well, what's the cost of an education and all that. I get it. But they can't work, and they spend more than 20 hours a week you know, being essentially professional athletes and making $100 million a year 
collectively, um, you know, for, for, for those schools, those big time schools like Ohio state. So I, I completely support Nick Bosa. I mean, he could go back out there on the field. Let's say, let's say there's a chance he gets back for Ohio state and let's say he gets back in time for a bowl game or late in the year to help them get into the national championship playoff picture or whatever. He's got an abdominal injury. He's got a core injury. He goes back out there and he injures himself. Now he's undraftable. Okay. Now he can't pass a physical at the combine. Um, you know, all of a sudden he goes, maybe some team takes him in the fourth round and he costs himself $20 million. Is it really worth it to Nick Bosa for $20 million to try to go back there and play for Ohio state? You know, I, I mean, these guys, they don't have lifetime medical insurance from their colleges. You know, they, they don't have, they have to go buy their own policies if they want them. So I just think that I'm surprised more players don't do this. We had this conversation about, you know, guys like Christian McCaffrey and others not playing in their bowl games that were just, you know, just sort of rewards for a good season. They weren't really consequential to any playoff picture. And and I expect more players that are going to be, you know, in the top half of the first round to do that. And I don't blame them for that either. Uh, college football, college basketball, whatever it is, you know, these guys are essentially, while they're student athletes, quote unquote, they're making a lot of revenue for the, for the, you know, everybody, let's put it this way. Everybody's getting paid except the guy on the field or on the basketball court or on the baseball diamond. So um, they have to protect their future. And, and I, and yeah, it will be a trend, especially for those guys at the top of the, uh, of the food chain. Great college football question, and and I'll tell you, we got the guy tomorrow. If you want to talk college football, he'll be on with us. Matt Baker, the college football writer for the Tampa Bay Times. Always a great discussion, and we'll uh, talk about the Florida-Georgia game, which is coming up uh, in a week or so. Florida State back in action as well. And, of course, there's always UCF and South Florida, which uh, both teams managed to have comebacks to remain undefeated. So lots to talk about tomorrow with Matt Baker. I'll be at One Buck Place. We'll have a chance to uh, talk to – Mark Duffner for the first time as he takes over from Mike Smith as defensive coordinator. And remember, folks, if you haven't done this, I've lived in Florida my whole life. It is something you have to do, and it's a great weekend with the kids. Go see Captain Mike swimming with the manatees up in Crystal River. It is a great experience, and these are gentle creatures. They're enormous, but they're, you can get and swim right next to them. It's, it's just a hoot, and it's a great thing to do on a summer day when it's hot and it's great for the whole family. So give Captain Mike's a call at 352-571-1888, 352-571-1888, or go to swimmingwiththemanatees.com. All right, so thanks again for your great questions. We enjoy uh, the mailbag segment immensely. Hope you guys do as well. And for Steve Bursting, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. 